This morning we are continuing. We just have two weeks left this week and next week, finishing off our exile series as we've been walking through the book of First Peter all summer long. And as I said, in two weeks, kicking off a brand new series. Uh, but this morning we get to hear from my favorite communicator, my wife, Amber. Can you give it up for Amber as she shares today? everybody doing today? I am so glad that you are with us. You guys, I have a love-hate for this time of year. I love summer so much, and I hate fall. I love fall, but I hate fall because you know what's coming, right? It's like this, oh, this tension, but I'm not going to lie. I'm really ready for my kids to go back to school, so that part I feel kind of bad about, but I do love fall, and one thing that I love about fall I know that this can be sometimes weird for a girl to say, but I love football. Like, I love football. And I have loved football my whole life. Uh, I come from a pretty athletic family. I know I'm really short, and I would have loved to have played sports way longer, but I am the shortest one in the family. So anyways, we came from a sports family. All we did was watch sports, play sports, and like repeat. And uh, actually, we had a really fun season where I have a cousin who um, played high school football. He became the Associated Press Minnesota Player of the Year. He grew up in Hutchinson, Minnesota, so just like a small town boy who had big dreams and made it. He got a full ride, went on to play at the Nebraska Cornhuskers as a wide receiver, and then it was literally, I always thought the draft was the stupidest thing ever, but it was like the most fun draft in the whole world because we as a family, we're cheering on my cousin to go to the NFL. And you know, we waited literally all day for the call, <laughs> and it was kind of stressful. And he got a call that he was going to the Denver Broncos. And man, to say we were excited is an understatement. We all became Bronco fans immediately. And um, we cheered him on, and it was a hard ride for him. If you don't know, yes, you can get drafted, but then you need to make, <laughs> you can be on the practice squad, and then you need to make the team and get on the roster. And Nate, we get a text one day from Nate, and he's like, you guys will never believe what happened. Uh, Sports Illustrated was here, and I'm gonna be in Sports Illustrated. And of course, we all were like, you've got to be kidding. So immediately when it came out, we all probably bought like three. I literally have three copies of this Sports Illustrated. So proud of him. And the picture's gonna come out in a minute, but it was literally the most amazing picture. Like. Is this not literally every kid's dream to be in Sports Illustrated, playing in the NFL? He looks like a stud. He's literally dying there. And Nate and I were just recently talking about this picture, and he's like, Amber, the thing is, is like nobody knows what was actually happening when that picture was taken. It was literally the worst practice of his life. He said he got to practice, and they started like throwing the sprinklers and the hoses and making mud. And all of a sudden, Sports Illustrated shows up and they're taking pictures. He's like, yeah, like, I thought that was cool until I found out, you know, I have hours of practice that now has to take place. So his socks are wet, his cleats are wet, and here he is, the newbie, literally having to play his guts out for hours because he's trying to make the team. He's trying to get on the roster. And not long after this picture was taken, probably, uh, he ended up getting cut from the Denver Broncos and got picked up by another team. And literally, when I tell you, every Tuesday, if he got a paycheck, he knew he was still on the team. If he didn't get a paycheck, he was going home. And it was a stressful ride. He ended up staying with that team for a year and then ended up think, like, deciding, you know what, this is not what I thought it was going to be. 
I'm done. He took a really good job in Nebraska, because if you didn't know, Cornhusker fans are literally crazy in Nebraska. And so I tell you this story because I think we all know, like, life is not always what it appears to be, right? We have social media. We have all these things that show us everybody's life as looking perfect sometimes. You know, you see, like, couples and, like, oh, they look happy and they're always happy and they go on these fun vacations or you see people that you're like, man, they've got their dream job. They've got it all together. And perception is just not reality. We all know that, right? And just like this picture, that picture is cool, but that the reality is, is like the grind was hard. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, Peter's talking to a group of believers who are trying to stay faithful to Jesus in a world that's hostile towards them and their faith. Do you guys like that little ringing? I'm like trying not to get distracted, but clearly that didn't work very well. In a world where life gets messy, he's writing to a community he knows needs each other. Like the world we live in now, it's messy. We need each other. And he's challenging them with one word, and that one word is love. That one word is love. Okay, how many of you, you need to raise your hands because I am not alone on this. I know I'm not alone on this. How many of you love Hallmark movies? Come on. Okay, before you judge, I like Hallmark Christmas movies. And Greg, yep, mocks me for it literally all the time. But who doesn't like a good movie when like the guy gets the girl and they live happily ever after? Like you never have to wonder what's going to happen. You never have to be stressed during the movie because you, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's literally the best. Sometimes I just want a lighthearted, fun movie and just pretend that love is just that easy because it's not. We all know that love doesn't look like that and it doesn't work like that. You know, romantic love or love with other people, love is messy. Love is messy and we know that. And so as we... Uh, go in and we talk about, you know, the Bible talks about love. And it doesn't say, like, love others when it's convenient. Love others when it's easy and care for people when it's convenient. It challenges us to something deeper than that. And the passage we're going to look at today is going to give us some insight on that. And so if you have your Bible with us, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7? And would you stand as we read the primary text? We're going to start in verse 7. The end of things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, this morning we just come to you. I just come to you, and I'd say it's not about anything that I want to say or have prepared. It's all about you. God, I pray that we will experience uh, this love that you're talking about, God, that we would be able to be a light to our world uh, for the way that we love others. So God, I pray that your will will be done in this service. In your name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Before we dig into this text today, we kind of need to backtrack and remember what Peter was just saying 
in the previous text. He was contrasting what it looks like to live for the flesh versus living for God and how we need to live in light of eternity and the final judgment. And then we get to verse 7, and this is where it says he reminds us, like, you guys, the end is near. He's reminding us to stay focused. Christ is coming. You need to stay focused and live accordingly. And he gives a bunch of ideas of what that's supposed to look like, but it's all grounded in one thing. All of it is grounded in one thing, and that's to love deeply. Man, this isn't going to be a message where I stand up here and I yell at you and I'm like, oh, do you see this? Do you feel this? Like, this is a message that I have been praying that the Lord just softly speaks at your heart. It's a heart message. It's not going to be something profound that you've never heard of. But if we're going to live the life that God is calling us to, we have to love deeply. We have to get this. And he says it this way in verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Peter is talking to a group of believers, just like I'm doing right now. And he says something. He's like, man, you guys, people are stupid. So sorry, you guys. We're stupid. We're humans. We hurt people. We're messy. And you all know what I'm talking about, right? None of us are perfect. It's inevitable that we are going to hurt people. It's inevitable that I'm going to say something that offends you. It's just, that's life. But they were like, just like us. And Peter is saying, but love, love covers a multitude of sin. People are messy, yep. But if you love, if you can get this, it's going to cover a multitude of sin. And I just think of my house, the Lynn's house. This may be a really big shocker to you guys, but uh, we're messy in my house. Not like messy, dirty, because I'm actually kind of OCD, but that's beside the point. You know, I'm not always happy with Greg. In fact, I get mad at Greg sometimes. Shocker. My kids, oh man, you know, the Lynn's house isn't always like peaceful and calm. They fight with, actually on the way to church, we were a hot mess. Like, that's just the reality. My, kid, my kids are probably like, don't bring that up, mom, because I, I was having a hard time loving my children on the way to church. But love covers a multitude of sin. And I think sometimes we forget or we, like, love can get misunderstood that it has to always be this emotion that we're feeling. And I know this is basic, but you guys, love is not just a feeling. It's an action. It takes a lot of work. And remember how John put it, I love this, in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Loving deeply, it sounds simple. It's really, really hard. It means laying your life down for other people. When we struggle with this, we struggle with this all the time, even in the simple things of life. One of my biggest pet peeves, are you guys ready for this? I'm going to tell you one of my biggest pet peeves. And no one in this room has done this. I can't say that either. But I'm still going to tell you my biggest pet peeve is when you go to Starbucks or Target or to a restaurant and people are just rude to whoever is helping them. You know, maybe you get what you didn't order or, or you get the wrong order or you go to a restaurant and you don't like the food or the cashier at Target is being really slow and you're irritated. And you have no patience for them. And you then let them know that you're irritated. I like really just don't think that Jesus would do that. I just don't. Actually, I think he would do the opposite. I think he would love them in their struggle. Because guess what? You never know what somebody's walking through. You never know the kind of day that somebody's had. 
And I cannot stand where you're sitting at a restaurant, and let's say the server brings you your order and it's pizza and you ask for no mushrooms and has mushrooms all over it, and then you just lose your ever-loving mind because your pizza has mushrooms and you didn't ask for that. And then you treat them poorly. Well, they're a human being, and side note, they didn't actually meet, make your pizza, newsflash, the cook did <laughs> But we get so focused on our needs and our wants that we forget to care for others. We forget to love others. We get so offended and so stuck in our ways that then we treat other people poorly. That's why love cannot ever be dependent on a feeling. That's why it's a choice that you have to make in spite of your feelings. 1 Corinthians is often used as the love chapter, right? It's often used at weddings. And people think of it as like this romantic chapter. And actually, it's written to a group of believers. He's challenging them with how to love one another. And 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrong. Remember, this is how the church is supposed to be treating people. Unfortunately, I think we can get that wrong a lot of times. There are so many things that can trip us up spiritually, but Peter seems to say, like, hey, you guys, bad relationships, unhealthy relationships within the church family, that may be the most dangerous of all. That could break churches and communities apart. So he says, above all, above all, more importantly than anything else, you have to love each other deeply. And after he talks about the goal of loving each other deeply, he gives us just some simple ways, challenges of like how to do this practically. Like how do you do, how do you love others? How do you care for others? And the first challenge he gives us, it's in verse 9. And it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like, what does that mean? I mean, some of you are probably like, oh, no, hospitality. I can't do that. What does that mean? Well, hospitality is literally made up of two words, love and stranger. It's the Greek word, or the Greek word actually means loving strangers. Showing hospitality can look so different in so many ways And in most times, it's kind of inconvenient, right? Hospitality can be really inconvenient. In 2009, uh, our house burnt down. It was the first house we had bought. I was newly pregnant with our first child. Um, We lost just about everything. It was devastating. It was sad. It was a crazy season that held a lot of blessings in disguise, and I'm not going to go into all of it. But I can remember standing in our yard thinking, like, I'm literally, I'm homeless. I have nothing but the clothes on our backs. I didn't have a toothbrush. I literally didn't have anything. And thinking like, God, where are we going to go from here? What are we going to do? Like our house is literally gone. And uh, we have plans to go stay at a hotel because literally, I mean, where else were we going to go, right? And we get this call, and it's from this couple from our church. And they say, hey, we want you to come to our house tonight. Um, don't go to a hotel. You need to come to our place. And I can remember we got there late. It was like 10.30 at night. We were filthy, dirty. Uh, and I remember sitting at her counter having cereal. Like she made a, got us cereal because we were starving. 
And the next morning, I didn't know it, but my feet were so dirty that they left her white cupboard, little black prints all over it. And she said as she was wiping those prints off, the Lord just like broke her heart for us. And they knew that they were supposed to invite us to live with them for the next five months. They opened their home. That yes, they had the space, they had, they could, they could. But that's besides the point. They didn't have to. They were being Jesus to us. I mean, it couldn't have been easy for them. For five months, we lived with them. They never complained. They never felt like they never made us feel like we weren't welcome. We were treated as one of the family. They loved us, they embraced us, they cared for us. Guess what? They loved us like Jesus. Because in a time where life was hard, in a time where we didn't know what was next, they said like, hey, come and be a part of our family. We got you. That's what it looks like to be Jesus. That's what it looks like to offer hospitality. And I know this is an extravagant example of hospitality, but this is what it means to care for one another in the church. When you see a need, you go and you meet it. You don't just brush it off. You say, hey, how can I help? The easiest way to show hospitality is obviously to open up your home. You maybe don't feel called to have someone live with you, because Greg and I have done that. (laughs) That is very challenging. I understand. But who are you supposed to have over for a cup of coffee? Who are you supposed to have over for a dinner? Who are you supposed to just meet and sit and talk to, because they've got nobody else to listen The easiest way for you to pour Jesus into them is by spending time with them. Yep, it might be inconvenient. It might be uncomfortable, but that's what we're called to do. My best friend is literally the best at this. She goes here, and she would literally invite every person in this room to come to her house for dinner without thinking twice about it. She wouldn't care where you've been, what you've done. She would open up her home, and then she'd open up her home, and she'd make you feel so loved and so welcome. They would make sure they had food for you and drinks for you, and they wouldn't want you to come into their home without feeling loved and cared for. That's what it means to look like Jesus. That's what it means to offer hospitality. My mom and dad were the greatest picture of this for me in my own life and growing up. Now, when I tell you this story, you're going to be like, that's crazy. It is kind of crazy, so hear me out. Growing up, my mom and dad would invite hitchhikers over. And I have, and they'd always invite them over for dinner. And I have a lot of crazy stories, and, I have, and times haven't changed, okay? So hear me out on this. But whenever my mom and dad saw someone in need, whether they had the means or not, they welcomed them into their family. They would open up their home to anyone. And I remember one Sunday, it was always Sundays, After church for lunch, my mom and dad would invite these hitchhikers. They would invite them to church, and then they would invite them over for lunch. And I was a snotty teenager, and I would complain the whole time. Like, why would you invite them over? That is so disgusting. Like, oh, they stink. They Like, we don't even have money to be feeding other people. Like, I literally was disgusted by it. I'm very embarrassed to say But my mom, one time, as I was complaining and whining, she said to me, Amber, we do this because this is how we show our people that Jesus loves them. This is how we care for people. Caring for others, it's not just an instruction. It's a command. 
So make sure you don't miss opportunities to be Jesus to somebody else. Some of you are thinking like, I am not inviting a hitchhiker to my home. I totally get that. I totally get that. But will you invite somebody over for coffee? Will you take time to listen to somebody who's struggling? Will you be there for a family that's going through a hard time? It doesn't have to look like, you know, inviting someone who's homeless. Maybe it does, but it doesn't have to be. All of us can do something. What are you going to do? After he talks about hospitality, Peter gives one more practical instruction. And he said, one practical way to love is by serving. Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Every Christian has been gifted by God. Paul talks about this. What is your gift? Use it. Don't just sit back. Use it. The beautiful part about humans, the beautiful part about a room like this is that we all have different giftings. None of us are the same. We're all different. But how many times do you just sit back and let others do the work of caring for other people? How many times do you think, like, I don't need to use my giftings because they're using theirs, and it's kind of the same, so I'm just going to let them do it? We're instructed to use the giftings that God has given us. Uh, One of my heroes is Kathy Strinkwest, and Greg and I served under her and Jerry for 12 years at Cedar Valley. And Kathy was a lady who was always serving, always. And a lot of times, you never knew she was serving. She didn't just serve in her giftings. She served in the things that she probably didn't even really like. But she was always serving. And when we moved into our new house, um, I can remember I was like nine months pregnant, and Kathy came over and said, I was like mortified, because she's like, I'm going to come over, I'm going to help with anything. And she was there for a while, and all of a sudden, I'm like, where is Kathy? And I go outside, and I find her. You can put this picture up. In our window well, washing my windows. You guys, she's my boss. She didn't have to do that. But she truly loved like Jesus. She truly served with everything in her. She never asked for an accolade, a thank you, or, oh, look at what I did. She probably hated the fact that I took this picture, but I'm so glad I did. I want to be like Kathy. What is the gifting that you have that you need to step out in because you're not using it right now? Don't wait for an opportunity or the perfect scenario to serve. Stop making excuses of why you can't and just do it. And I'm going to say this, and when you do serve and when you do do it and when you do step out in it, remember to remain humble in all of it. It's never about you. This is an instruction we are given to bring glory and honor to his name. We serve so that others can say, man, you're different. I want, what do you have that I don't? We serve to shine Jesus. That's why we do it. Remember your age, it does not matter. I don't care if you're a teenager or if you're 90 years old. It doesn't matter. In 1 Timothy 4.14, in the message version, it says, get the word out. Teach all these things and don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity. Stay at your post reading scripture, giving counsel, teaching. And that special gift of ministry you were given when the leaders of the church laid hands on you and prayed, keep that dusted off and in use. Some of you young people, 
I'm sorry, but not sorry. You need to stop thinking about yourself. Some of you need to find a way to serve. You might think, well, I'm too young, or that's not going to be fun, or none of my friends do it. doesn't matter. You're instructed to serve. You're instructed to step out in your giftings. And some of you older generation, you're like, been there, done that, Amber. I'm not doing that again. Maybe I've heard that a time or two. That's dangerous ground. Because you should never be done serving. I want to serve not only because I know that that's what the Lord asks of me, because guess what? It gives me joy. It gives me community. It gives me purpose. And if you stop stepping out in that, you're going to lose purpose. So step out into the giftings that God's called you. Maybe you keep thinking, like, I just don't know what I should do, Amber. Well, I don't know. Do something. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be difficult. You see a need, you meet a need. That's what you do. It doesn't need to be like this big thing. Maybe you're supposed to mentor somebody. Maybe you need to start greeting on a Sunday morning. Maybe you need to serve in kids or work with the youth group. But maybe you need to mow a neighbor's yard. Maybe you need to help a family who's struggling. I don't ever want to stop serving because with serving comes purpose and joy. We challenge people here at Zoe Church to serve all the time. And you guys, I might get in trouble for this, but we don't need you. Like, I mean, we do, but we don't. We say this because our heart's desire is for you to serve because we know what it will do for you. It's going to give you purpose. It's going to give you joy. It's going to give you a community. But ultimately, it's going to make you more like Jesus. That's our heart's desire. So as I begin to close today, I want you to remember one thing. If there's one thing you remember all day, I want it to be ringing in your head And it's our big so what. The big so what is love like Jesus. It's very simple. Peter knew that communities like here at Zoe Church are going to be messy. It probably didn't surprise him. Sometimes I am surprised by how messy we can be. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, man, God, why are we having to walk through that? That's not what church is supposed to be like. But we're people. We're humans. Church is messy. We might look nice you know, from the outside, right? You might walk in these doors, having it all together, smiling, when really you and your husband fought all the way here. There might be pastors that we get up on stage and we've had a really rough week, but you wouldn't know it for even a second. Some of us look like my cousin Nate, but from the outside, we think, oh, we got it all together. We try to act like we got it all together. But that's not what we're called to do. We're messy. And if we're going to truly be a community, if we're actually going to be a community that God desires for us to be and people that God desires us to be, then we need to learn this simple thing, to love like Jesus. We have to learn it. The greatest picture of Jesus' love, you probably know what it is, right? He died on the cross for you and me. And I know we talk about this all the time, but do we really think like he selflessly gave his life for us when we didn't deserve it? Not for one second. I didn't deserve it. And he chose to submit his body to literally unimaginable pain 
pain that we could never probably wrap our brain around for the benefit of those that would kill him. That's what he did. And even asking, when all of that was said and done, for God to forgive them. He asked God to forgive the very men that crucified him. He did that for us. And loving like that takes a lot of work. Loving like that, selflessly giving your life, man, it's not, we don't love people because they deserve it. We, I mean, they're going to fail us, right? They're going to hurt us. We do it because we've been called to. Loving like Jesus takes work. And it isn't easy to forgive those that have hurt you. It isn't easy to move past the wounds and the pain from people. It's not. I will, I will attest to that. It's not easy. But we're called to love like Jesus. We're called to forgive like Jesus. And that kind of love, that's what covers a multitude of sin. That kind of love, that's what makes us look different than anybody else. And guess what? That kind of love ultimately will set you free. That's a really special kind of love. One of the strongest people I know in my life, she had to do this. As a little girl, uh, she had a neighbor that would babysit her. And at six years old, that that babysitter began to abuse her. And not only did he abuse her, he would make her and her brother do inappropriate things and watch. That is a kind of pain nobody should ever, ever experience. And even worse, he would threaten her to remain silent. You guys, she grew up in a home just like me or you. And she was walking through pain that is unimaginable. And much of her childhood was spent in this hellish prison. Like there was no way out, like there was no hope. And the pain she endured for years and years and years was horrific. The layers of forgiveness, the layers of pain, at times were more than she thought she could handle. And yes, she has trauma. She has pain, but that she's had to work with. She would be the first to tell you she has gone through years and years and still goes through counseling. But you want to know what the most beautiful part of her story, the part of her story that inspires me, the part of her story that's like, man, if she can do that, I can do that. If she has forgiven that person that has hurt her in unimaginable ways. She has let Jesus come into her life and heal her of pain and brokenness that she never thought would be mended. And instead, she has chosen to find purpose in her pain. She has chosen to say, like, God, he can redeem and he can restore even the person that feels like they are never, ever going to be worthy. No matter what you walked through in this room, God sees you. He wants to bring that type of healing. He wants to bring joy. And something that I'm always amazed by with her is that she has chosen to not grow bitter with God at other people 
but the only reason that she has it is because her love for Jesus covers over a multitude of sins. And she knows that. Her choice to love like Jesus not only shows her devotion to Jesus, but it's what has set her free from pain and anxiety like never before. And this is what it looks like to be Jesus. It's really messy. It's really messy. And man, the person that she has chosen to forgive, he did not deserve her forgiveness. But Jesus has set her free because of choosing to forgive. So as I close this message today, there's two things that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to challenge you with. And the first one is, what do you need to lay down so you can be more like Jesus? What's holding you back? What's getting in the way? Is it selflessness? Like, are you selfish? Is it pride? Is it pain? Is it anxiety that has crippled you so bad that you literally, you can't even think about having someone over for coffee because it stresses you out so bad? What is it? What is the pain that you are carrying that you need to say, God, I'm going to lay that at your feet. I want to love like you, and I don't know how. Sometimes it's just like not even knowing how to do it, right? How do I love like Jesus? I have hurt. I have pain. A lot like my friend that I just told you about. I have trauma that I've had to work through. But I'm going to tell you this. I never, ever, ever want my pain and my trauma to hold me back from what I know the Lord has called me to do. I don't want insecurities and doubts to keep me silent. I want to be used by him in ways that are way bigger than I could ever dream. But you know what it has to start with? It has to start with me checking my heart and saying, okay, God, you can have my heart. You can have it all completely. I'm going to give you everything, all the hurt, all the pain, whatever it is, it's all yours. I don't want to become jaded with people. I have caught myself becoming jaded with people because of past hurt, because of things that I've seen. Maybe you walk into the church and you're jaded with the church. I hate to say it, but man, that's a heart issue. That's something that you got to work through. I'm sorry for the pain that you've walked through. I'm sorry for the things that you've had to carry. But I often think of my friend that I just told you about. If she can do it, I can do it. I can forgive because that covers a multitude of sin. Love covers a multitude of sin. But also, maybe there's like, where is God calling you to move? What is God calling you to do? What is he saying? Like, I want you to stop being comfortable and I want you to move to something uncomfortable. What is God saying? Get up and do something. Whether it's in hospitality or it's serving or maybe it's in forgiveness. I don't know what it is for you. But be used by God in new ways. He's not done with you yet. If you are breathing, he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. Get up. Do something. Let him use you in new ways. I'd like everyone just to stand today. And I just want to pray over you. We're going to end in a worship song so the worship team will sing after I pray. And maybe you need to 
come to the altar and lay some things down at his feet. Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you just need to sit in silence, but maybe you need healing from things that you've been carrying for far too long. This is the place where that can happen. This is the community that wants to rally around you and say, hey, whatever you're going through, whatever you're walking through, let's do it together because you guys, I don't want to do church. I actually hate that idea. If Zoe Church is going to look different than the rest of the world, then we have to live differently. It starts with me. It starts with you. It starts with laying things down at God's feet and saying, like, God, make me different. Make me new. So, Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. God, I don't know the pain and the things that people have come in here carrying, but I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for hearts to be softened in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for people to find purpose, that they will know that they can be used by you. God, I pray that dreams that maybe people have pushed to the side that you ignite. God, I pray for people to know that, man, if we're going to live differently, if we're going to do this life differently, that it starts by loving others in ways that not maybe other people see. Let us look different, God. I pray in your